Hey, very good day to all of you listening out there. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is January the 25th, 2023. His name is Alex. My name is Frank. How's it going, sir? It's going, man. These are the days that I regret living in the Midwest. That happens really. Ah, yes. But I'm looking yes. out my window to two to three inches of snow, and it's it's not... I don't know. Snow's great when it first comes. I'm so happy. But once you live in the Midwest long enough, you probably know this. When you when you shovel driveways, you, there's a certain kind of snow that just fucking sucks. And it's like the on the days when it's like it's just cold enough to be snowing, but some of it is starting to melt also as it sits there. So you see like this layer of sludge that develops underneath the snow, which doesn't sound like much. But when you go and shovel a long ass driveway and sidewalk. And it's basically like half sludge, half powdery snow. It wears on you. And I'm looking out my window and that's all I see. So I know as soon as we wrap up here, I get to go out and get a back workout in. So that's good at least. But I'm so envious of you guys out west. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I tuned you out completely there. I didn't hear your words. I was just letting you feel like I'm supposed to go to the beach later, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> I love you, but I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst, bro. I hate shoveling. I fucking yeah. hate it. I want to buy a snowblower so bad, but I've never done it. Can't you just salt it away? Dude, no. You would need so much salt to salt through inches of snow. It doesn't quite work like that. Maybe if you get like a little dusting, you can salt away. But the cost of how much salt it would take to really do that, and then that would yeah. probably destroy your driveway over time because the salt isn't the best for it. Makes it crack and shit. Yeah, I'm sure you can uh, wrangle up a couple cowboy fans up there. <laughs> There's pl- plenty of salt to go around with them. So that's, I think that might do the That trick. has been really fun to watch, man, is all the cowboy fans this last week, man. Just heartbroken. Yeah. That one I don't understand because, and I saw some sports commentator, I'm stealing his take on this basically, but like them getting the playoff win last week is is huge for them. They haven't had a playoff win in like 25 years or something like in a very long time. They have not had a playoff win. So, and it's like the expectation of these Cowboy fans, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Like that is not your expectation based on any reality you've lived through the last 20 some years. Like you guys should be happy. Like if, as if the Lions got a playoff win, like I would be pumped about that just because we went and did the thing. You know, it's like to have these super high expectations every year, like a Notre Dame fan, you're like always are constantly going to be let down. Like that is not your organization. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's fun to watch people break their TVs and shit online. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's tremendous. Um, since the Chargers left and I don't, I don't, I'm not emotionally attached to that sport anymore. Mm-hmm. I start, I, I, I like, I, I see the folly in it. I see the, just the, I don't, I don't, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like searching for the words here. The, the emotional attachment to something that is so deep and so profound. And at the same time, you have zero control over anything that happens. It's like a, a degenerate gambler, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's just all it is. You're like, you're like pouring everything, all of your emotional capacity into one team or game or what have you so much so that when they lose you break something that you bought it just doesn't like now that doesn't compute to compute to me if you if you would have told me that you know eight years ago or so i'd like yeah i'd have done the same thing yeah exactly Uh, but i'm so glad now (laughs) i'm so glad you know we we watched the chargers play the jags and just have an epic epic collapse just total complete meltdown on all facets of, of their game. And I'm just sitting there thinking, God, I'm so glad this doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you can 
I can look at this in the, from the perspective of a comedy and not a tragedy. <laughs> and it's so much better. Can I go conspiracy theorist on you for a sec? Please. So recently it was it was announced or, or like I guess revealed that the NFL is recognized as an entertainment business and not a sport. Mm -hmm. So technically mm -hmm. and legally, they are allowed to work together for entertainment purposes and legally could like fix games. Like it, it's classified in the same way that WWE is registered. So, yeah. uh, you know, and there's been lots of, of talk about this kind of thing. That will always be in the back of my head. Like I can't not think of that as a possibility. Going even crazier here, I heard this this yesterday and it just, it, it made me think, did you watch the Bills Bengals game this weekend? Mm-hmm. Now, from what we saw, and, and I don't don't mean to, to speak ill, I'm just putting this out there. I'm not saying I necessarily believe this, but it's an interesting perspective and makes you think like maybe how powerful the NFL is. We saw DeMar Hamlin on, on the field for a very long time when he got injured in that, in that Bills-Bengals game a few weeks ago. Some say that he was getting CPR administered for him for nine minutes. And what is said that is if once you, your heart stops beating, after four minutes, you can be completely destroyed like mentally physically all these things right right supposedly his heart had stopped like they had resuscitated him twice on the field and it was over nine minutes that he was getting it cpr administered you know into the hospital we, we see the tweets and all this stuff it, it, he's he's good it, it seems like he's getting better did you notice in that game the shots that they kept doing of damar were always super super snowy behind the glass you could never see his face at all he had a hood he had on, a hood on yeah. inside a heated box he's wearing this big puffy coat they show him leaving coming in and out of the of the arena he's got a shit ton of security around him like eight security guards he's wearing sunglasses inside in a hood there's a conspiracy right. going around on the internet that damar hamlin might have died and that this is a body double and the nfl does not want to take the hit because of how big they are and if there's a death that obviously can be traced to the NFL as the cause, they would get sued out of their ass that could ruin the whole organization. Similar to why they haven't ever really said, like, we know that NFL, that these contact injuries cause this brain damage that we're finding that they do, because if, if they ever, like, admitted to knowing that and hiding it and all this other thing, they could be sued, you know, to, to the cows come home and the organization could fail. Do you find any credence in that at all? At all? Like, I, I, I want DeMar Hamlin to be alive so bad. I'm not trying to speak ill on him or, I, like, please, if anyone hears this, like, I'm not trying to get in any trouble. It's just an interesting theory. And then to watch that Bills-Bengals game, how they, like, presented him was just so mysterious and weird. And I, I don't know. I, all, I've, all we've really seen is social media posts. We haven't seen any. You would think that, like, a guy who's all about the team and, and like, happy to get back around the team would be willing to take an interview or at least let there be a camera in that box with him so you have a clear view of him. Like, what? that's not good TV to show a snowy, shadowy figure, you know? <sighs> I, I, I've been I've been tussling with this one because, because it? it's true what you say, that there, 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 is no, there is no shot of him. And even he, like, tweeted out a, a picture of him in front of a mural, and he's got a hood on and a mask on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, wear whatever you want. You, you owe nobody nothing if you are Damar Hamlin and you are indeed alive. Sure, sure. I, I, can't, I, can't, I, I want to believe that, it's, that this is all just a bunch of, uh, you know, much ado about nothing. The, the damn governor is tweeting out that she's on the phone with him, talking to him. Everybody's, you know, rallying around this guy. If it ever came out that this cover-up happened, I mean, that's got to be like, not maybe not the end of the NFL, but certainly like a giant blow to anybody wanting to watch them ever and take anything credibly ever again. And moreover, the safety of young football players all over the country. Mm -hmm. If I was a parent and this happened and they're trying to cover up a death, they're like, yeah, okay, 
Yeah, maybe you don't need to play football, you know? Yeah. And so I could see why the conspiracies happen. I, I'm going to take a very, very cautious approach to this because it's like, it's too, it's too touchy. I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. That's for sure. I'm just saying we've seen the NFL do this before with a whole concussion information and they were I mean, supposedly sure. paying off certain scientists to like skew facts and all this other data to like protect themselves. So I, I don't think this would be like the first time we've seen them do something like this. So I, I just think it's a possibility. I very much hope that DeMar Hamlin is alive, you know, for his own and his family's sake and everyone. But there's just some of the stuff I'm seeing online, I'm like, damn, man, like the conspiracy theorist to me just like has to give some credence to that. <laughs> it's just weird. It is weird. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> and it would mean that they would have to like fabricate everything, right? Like when he woke up, he asked if they won and the nurse said, you won, Damar. Doesn't that seem like a movie quote a little bit though? Yeah, Doesn't I guess. It? But I could see a doctor saying yeah. that. Like, you won, buddy. Like, you were dead and now you're not, right? Like, if that's what happened, then, then of course, that's something that somebody might say mm -hmm. in that situation, especially a doctor who could appreciate this, the, the severity of the situation. But that would mean that they'd have to fabricate this whole story and have to be so Loctite that if anything ever were to come out, you, you, you would have to like be able to shoot it down immediately. So, so the, the way I'm saying this is if, if there is any truth to any of this conspiracy, then the, the very next step is that he will have to die. What do you mean? If this story of him right now is imagined and made up mm -hmm. and all this and like, what about his family? Is his family playing along with it? Like, do you know what I mean? I would like, have to imagine that they'd be using a body double now because DeMar, like let's say DeMar did pass away. They'd be using a body double now and then his family would have had to get paid off buku bucks. But from the NFL's perspective, They'd rather pay them money, you know, a shit ton of money to keep their shit going, you know, instead of have this huge hit on the NFL and, oh, it kills people now. Like, we're watching people die on the yeah, field, not 40 years after the career's over. It all sounds so it stupid. It does, dude. It sounds so crazy talking about it. It sounds so stupid. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, I don't like Roger Goodell very much, but he's not an idiot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And anybody who would have to green light that, it would have to be the dumbest person in the mm -hmm. world to keep up a facade like mm -hmm. that. <sighs> I don't know. Anyways, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I, 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 I had seen that and I was like, you I know had what? hesitations, I, I, dude. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Definitely some hesitation. You know what I have a hesitation about? What's that? I wanted to bring this up. Um, baptizing my child. Oh, yeah, for sure. I did not do it. Oh, I'm sure you didn't. I figured mm -hmm. you didn't. And it was never a thing that I second guessed. It was always something that I, you know, have a kid baptized, mm -hmm. right? It was always in my mind that's, that's what happens. But I was thinking the other day, I don't know what got me to thinking about this, but you know, I was, I was raised in the faith, Catholic faith, just like you were. And, uh, I was pretty deep into it, you know? Sure. Yeah. And it, it, to, to the point where it certainly had a, a profound effect on my life. And I think people who are still in the faith have that profound effect on their life as well. And I respect that. I would go so far to say is that I, I have reverence for that. I revere that. That That's to, to me is something that I, I, I admire. You, you may think that they're being manipulated or I'm not saying you, but just generally people might be thinking that, you know, they're being manipulated or they're believing in some, you know, magic omnipresent being. I, 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 I see it differently. And so if I'm not practicing in that, but yet I still decide to initiate the sacrament of baptism with my son, to me, not only does it feel hollow, but it also feels disrespectful to the people who actually take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, do, do you get my... I do, but like... Do you get my train of thought I, here? From what I've come to know more about you through this podcast, even through the last few years, like, you're, I would say you're a man of faith. It, it might not necessarily be Roman Catholic, but you're a Christian, you know? 
would, is that safe to say? Or, or would you say I mean, you're yeah, Roman I Catholic? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. But, but to say you're Christian, right? What does that mean? Does that mean that you were raised that way? Do you... I think it means you believe in God and you believe that Jesus was his son. That, that, I think that's like the basis of Christianity, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, there's different iterations of it. But I guess you say if you're Christian, then it's a faith based off of Jesus Christ as the son of God who's created the church. And he was made in God's image and likeness and died for all of our sins so that we may be saved, mm -hmm. yes. right? I, as an adult, now have the capability of looking at these stories and lessons and teachings and can see them for the metaphors that they mm -hmm. are, right? When you go to Catholic Mass and you receive communion, you're taking the body of Christ. That's a metaphor, but it's also ritual cannibalism. <laughs> True, yeah. That, and that's the point mm -hmm. of it, is that you are recommitting your part of this covenant where you're saying, yes, I take you to be the one true son of God, son of man, one part of this Trinity. And like you had told your supporters right before you got crucified, take my bread, take this bread. It is my body and it will be shared for you and for all so that all sins may be forgiven. Do some memory of me. That is a, it's a big thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, it's non-trivial. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about baptism. It's a non-trivial thing. You're not just, it's, yes, it's a tradition, but it's also the act of washing away original sin. And that's not a, that's a, not a non-trivial thing. It's, if you think about it, could be, if you believe in it, the biggest thing that you do for your child. And so for me, it's like, well, that's how I see it. That's how I revere sure. it. That's, that's the way that I, that's the lens that I view mm -hmm. in it. And then to do it for like a traditional kind of thing that it's because it's, you know, it's been in my family, it's been in Jacqueline's family. It's, you know, our, both of our families have been Catholic. And so that's just the, the, the step you take. For me, it seems to be just a little bit hollow and off. Well, I'm happy to hear you say like that you're thinking, you're giving it thought and not just blindly like, this is what you do. This is what we're going to do. Has there been pressure from either side of the family to do it? Or is it kind of like they both respect your guys' you know, ability to choose for your own kid? I don't know. We, we, haven't, we haven't breached the subject. Oh, no. okay. um, yeah. but, but I wanted to talk about it here and, and you know, pose the question to, to you for sure, but to, to the listeners. Like, I, mean, I, I, I know more or less the way you, you fall here. Mm -hmm. But you know, to, to, to the listeners, if anybody else has been in this situation before, because if you want to do something like baptize your kid, and then they grow up, and they see that you— and I, and I can't say for certain that this is going to be the case, but but that if you're not going to follow in the footsteps of that faith that they've been baptized in, then how could that mean anything? Yeah. It's it's very hypocritical in my, in my view. Like, I feel like faith is something that should be chosen. Like, if my kid wanted to get baptized and become a Christian and, and anything else, like, I would never tell him not to do that. But to, like force people them into that sometimes i i don't know i i see like all the the great tenets and stuff you always talk about about like all the structure it gives you and stuff but like i, I would want my kid to, to choose that and want that and like then i would think that they could get their first communion and their baptism like at that age like maybe when they're younger they have like an idea of what they want or something but to indoctrinate them without them knowing i guess or, or having any like idea of what is happening, but I guess, does it really matter? Cause they don't know what's happening. So like, so that's, that's, I think that's the bigger yeah. question for me right now is that they, they don't know. And they're never going to choose that on their own because they don't have the capacity for that. Right. And that's why we're their parents. We're the adults. Mm -hmm. We do have the capacity for that. So we have to, in every aspect of their life, not just in, in, in faith or, in, but we have to be a strong hand and a, a rock hard barrier for them for certain things. And, and, faith and morals and, 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 and raising them to be whatever it is that you envision a, 
a good, decent, upstanding person should be, that's, that is your responsibility. So the, the bigger question I have is that if, I, if, 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 if I don't baptize my child into the Catholic church, I don't have a better alternative for moral structure, right? Like me personally, I don't have that. And I certainly have the humility to understand that I, that I, I am not capable of instilling thousands of years of history and tradition and trial and error into my child as, as man, right? I'm, I am not the, the solution to my problems. I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit as a man though, dude. Like you're a, you are a strong man. And, and whether that's because of our, our Christian upbringing, yes, it probably did give us some tenets, but that doesn't mean that like, it always has to be that way. You can take those tenets, those metaphors, all of those, those things that have been taught to you and, and still teach that to your kid. You can teach love thy neighbor. Like you love thyself to someone you can teach thou shall not kill, you know, like you can teach all of those things like just on the basis of being a good person. I don't think it needs to necessarily be religion-based. And I, I guess as far as baptism is concerned, the, the question I would ask you is, do you really think that if something happened to your, to your son, God forbid, like I hope this never happens, but if something happens, do you think he would really go to hell just because he wasn't dipped with some water by a guy? Like I, I, I don't see original sin to me is, is bullshit. And it's just a way to like get them young and hook them. Like I, I, I don't think like a baby has done anything in the eyes of God that he would, if there is a God that he would say, fuck him, he's going to hell. Like there's, there's no way. <laughs> that's why, that's why I say I'm, I'm able to hold the, hold that, that, that kind of water as an adult and, and understand these things to be metaphors. Yeah, right. Like, right. Orig, like original sin. So I think the problem with organized religion is that they've personified way too much of this and they've made it too tangible and not nearly spiritual enough. I think it's mostly fear-based. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like, like the kingdom of heaven is yours if you mm -hmm. want it, um, you know, lest you don't get baptized, right? And then you go straight yeah, to hell. Right. That, that's what I mean about tangible, right? There's the tangible goal of heaven when you die. There's the tangible goal of not going to hell, right? There's the purgatory, you know, you, you, you can go into all yeah. of it. But, but, but to me, I see these things as metaphors and then you apply it to the real world. And I think it's very apparent that yes, man has fallen. O original sin is a concept that's been drawn out of experience. It's the same concept we've talked about multiple times on this show. If you leave a child to their, their own free will without any rearing, they will divulge into the, the most animalistic nature of their being. That's just the way it's going to be. So you need these concepts like original sin to compartmentalize that behavior and say, well, if, if we don't do this, then we know that this is how this is going to turn out. And so we have to accept that every single day we have to die to ourselves and that we are flawed and that we have this original sin and that we're constantly fighting temptation to do quote the right thing. Right. And so those, to me, those concepts are not like, they're not lost on me. It's very easy for me to understand in the way that they mm -hmm. are without any pressure for me to, you know, accept Jesus Christ, my one Lord and savior and to, you know, confess my sins. Not, not, not that there's anything wrong with those things, but, but to me, I think you and I, and plenty of other people in our generation who I've had this conversation with feel uh, very disenfranchised with the whole institution of religion and the rigid rigidity of what it means to be saved yeah. or what it means to be a religious person because what comes with it is a lot of extracurriculars that I think you and I kind of see through and you're like, well, hmm, you know, but then, but then that's where, that's where I, I 
come to these crosswords is where it's like, well, yeah, I understand these things, but that's because of my, my lived experiences. Mm-hmm. I am, I am, but man, how do I, and, and any reality expect that I can impart this wisdom upon another being without there being some sort of buffer, right? Like I can't be, I can't be God, right? I can't be that, that one thing that, that gets deferred to. You're not God, but you're, your you're your kid's God in a way is where they look to you for guidance. Just like an adult, I guess that believes in God looks to God for guidance. Like you don't have to let him know, like, son, I am the beginning and end of all creation. And I will, you know, I can send you to like, you're not that, but like you are like their spiritual guide one way or the other, whether it's religious or in life. And I look to my wife all the time for this kind of thing. Cause both her parents, not religious. She was raised, not religious. Mm-hmm. She's got a great head on her shoulders, bro. Better than me. And I was raised, raised religious. Like I, that's, I have sure. no problem saying that. So like that gives me faith that me not no longer being religious, but still being able to draw from a lot of great shit. I did learn from religion. I can draw from those tenets and metaphors working alongside with my wife. Like I'm not saying it's going to be easy and that we've mastered parenting, but like I have faith in, in just our tenets of like trying to be decent people that we can raise a decent human being. Yeah. That that's how I look at it. And it's, it's like if religion, you know, if it's for you and if it makes sense, cause that's, what's always been. And like, that's, that's great. Like I, I, if anyone told me that I would never like try to like put them down for that. I just don't think it works for everybody. And I think some people just look at things more practically or I, I don't know how to like separate those, those two mindsets. Cause they're, they're very different. And I don't, I don't know if either one's right or wrong, but I, I, I do think it's possible. It might be harder but but I think that I would rather raise them be like to be good because they want to be good and they want to succeed and then do the same thing with their their family or whatever rather than like you need to be good because you're going to go to hell if you don't and you're going to all these things are going to happen if you don't do it for the like mm-hmm. in, in my head that just never that just t- led me and, and I've seen it lead other people down like a weird road and you like feel guilty about like the weirdest things and and I've met plenty of Christians that are terrible people that are like preaching one thing, doing another. And it's, it's just like, I, I just, I see a lot of like contradictory things about that. So like, for me, it just didn't make sense. I still think it's possible to raise great human beings without it. But I mean, we might disagree there. No, I think you're right. I, I, I don't know that it's necessary. And, 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 and you could certainly raise somebody in, 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 the, in, in the same similar vein without without introducing dogma, right? To me, I think it's more profound. Like if you were to go and tell your kid, Hey, you need to be nice. Like, why do I need to be nice? Well, because shit, I don't know. That's just what you need to do, right? Like you need to be nice. You need to be a nice person because if you're a mean person, then you're never going to be able to play with kids and, and this, that, and the other, you can maybe draw from that. Or if the kid says, you say, I need to be not, you need to be nice. The kid says, why? And I say, because Jesus sat with the lepers and the whores and he told everybody that the kingdom of heaven is yours and the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so you don't want to be on the other end of that. You want to be the person who is taken up with those who have less and, you know, and, 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 you know, that, that, that kind of thing to me, that seems way more powerful than just coming from me. And that's why that buffer, Mm -hmm. I guess the fear I have is that, you know, the kid's going to grow up and he's going to realize that I am, but a man, right. Right. That, that varnish of your parents always wears off, but he's going to grow up and be like, but where's the proof that God's real? Like if I had tangible proof that it was, I think that's like a lot easier to instill, but I, I feel like really like eventually that kid is, is, more and more as more and people like detach from the church, like 
they're going to come to that realization themselves anyway. And then you're like dealing with a whole new set of like, what, like kind of how, like at least the, how I felt like after going through 18, 20 years of schooling like that, like what the fuck, this is all bullshit. And then like, you're like anti that. And like for a long time, I didn't see all the good things that I really drew from it because I was so like, what the fuck I've been lied to. This is bullshit. And like, that's not true. Like I learned a lot of good stuff. Like you, you've helped me come to that realization. It's tough, man. Cause at some point I feel like that would happen to them. But maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they'd be devout their whole life. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. It's a sticky one, yeah. um, and and I and I certainly don't uh, expect to have have the answers anytime soon. That's cool. Um, you're giving it thought, though, man. Like I I like that. That's that's awesome. Like you're not just doing it to do it. That's cool. Thanks. There's a man of the cloth in Michigan who claimed to die, go to hell, and then come back. You heard about this no. guy? Uh-uh. He's a priest in Michigan. In a, in a series of TikTok videos, he's claiming that he died. He went to hell. And saying that he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy. His name is Gerald Johnson. And he says that, uh, quote, I saw the real hell. I was there and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I don't care what he did to me. No one deserves that. February of 2016, he suffered a heart attack and he died. And he said his spirit left his physical body and plummeted to the center of the earth where he says hell is. Quote, I thought it was going upward because I thought I had done so much good in this lifetime trying to help so many people and made so many decisions that were godly decisions. But as opposed to me going up, I went down. The things I saw were indescribable, he says, and it makes me emotional every time I talk about it. He described seeing a man walking on all fours like a dog and getting burned from head to toe. His eyes were bulging worse than that. He was wearing chains on his neck. He was like a hellhound and there was a demon holding the chains. Like telepathic communication, I knew that the demon was sent in this man's life to ride him from childhood to his death. He says, uh, it's like you're a slave on earth to the things of the devil, and then in hell you are tormented like a dog. He also said that he heard music. Guess who he heard? Black Sabbath. No. You would think, right? <laughs> you would think like, yeah, Highway to Hell. Natasha Benningfield, unwritten? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he heard uh, Rihanna's Umbrella. Oh, dude, I've heard a bunch and, of, okay, I've heard some uh, satanic shit tied to Rihanna and the, all of Rockefeller records. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always are throwing up the rock, the diamond, Illuminati. He also heard uh, Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy, <laughs> but it wasn't like the song. It was the same song, but it was uh, demon singing it. Don't worry. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So obviously, like, the, the obvious question is, how did a priest end up in hell? That's what I was saying, bro. If he's going to hell as a priest, like, what, what, uh, what, yeah, what help do we <laughs> yeah, have, right? Right, dude, fuck. Um, so, so he says that it was, it was unforgiveness. He says, quote, I was angry with God because I did so much good in my life and ended up in hell. I lifted up out of hell and came back to earth and God spoke to me. He said, you have been secretly upset with the people who have hurt you. You had been hoping I would punish the people that hurt you. These are not your people. These are my people. I only want you to focus on the assignment I'm giving you. So he said, although I did good, the thing I had in my heart was unforgiveness for the people who wronged me. A person that can't forgive is a person that has forgotten how much they have been forgiven of. Ooh, it's really good. So he ends his video saying, hell is a real place. I don't believe that God sends people to hell. People send themselves to hell. Whatever is still left inside of you that God has been trying to get out of you, that you die with, that is going to determine where you go. God wants to know, did you learn to love well? And did you learn to forgive well? I think he was tripping, bro. <laughs> I'm sw- I swear to God. So, you know what DMT is, right? People smoke it. Oh, yeah, sure. Trip. They say it's the drug that's released when you're born and when you die in your brain. And just oh, let, yeah. me, let me read this little clip to you. Near-death experiences are complex, subjective experiences which have been previously associated with psychedelic experience and more specifically with the experience-induced 
by the potent dimethyltryptamine, DMT. Potential mm -hmm. similarities between both subjective states have been noted previously, including the subjective feeling of transcending one's body and entering an alternate realm, perceiving and communicating with sentient entities and themes related to death and dying. So to me, when I always hear about these these near, these NDEs, I'm just like, eh, I, I, to me, that's more likely because like you probably do see some shit when you die, when a bunch of shit's going crazy in your brain. But then I'm I'm guessing that it ends. Would be my guess if you actually die. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that 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 also makes sense to me because you know when you're dreaming, I, th I think that's why you can do well to interpret dreams mm -hmm. because dreams are obviously subjective. My dreams are not your dreams, uh, but the common denominator there is that that hallucinogen, that psychotropic. The other day, a couple weeks ago, actually. I had a dream that, uh, like it haunted me. I was like, wow, I can't believe I had the dream. I had a dream that I shot people Wow! and I was with my dad and it was justified. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was shooting into a crowd. I was like shooting people, just like random people, just shooting Jeez. at them. And yeah, it was really odd. And I woke up and I was shook, man. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, why am I having this dream? Like I, I, I do, I, I have no like murderous intentions at all. Maybe because of what, wasn't there like three mass shootings in California over the last week? No, this was way before that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I looked it up. And it said more often when you have a dream about you committing murder, it is because there's something inside of you or something going on in your life that you want to kill. Not a person, but like a thing mm. that could not have been more true. Like could not have been more spot. I won't go into the details of it, but, but sure. absolutely. Like there was something I was dealing with at the time where I just wanted it out of my life. I wanted to rid it out of my life. It was tormenting me from the inside out. And it manifested itself in this dream that I had so where cool. I was shooting at people. Yeah. And so I could believe that if you're a priest and you've gone your whole life thinking about these ideas and, 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 you know, training your brain, your, your mind, grooming your brain to, to receive Christ that if, and when you die and your brain gets flooded with DMT, then the visions, the images, and the things that you that you see are going to be related to what your brain has been thinking of your entire life. Maybe he like cranked it to a bunch of Rihanna videos too, so that's why he got that coming. <laughs> oh, that's funny. a little bit of guilt um, feeling there. But yeah, I thought that was a really interesting story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Like you said, man, if a if a priest is going to hell, then I guess this is this really is all uh, not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know who who definitely should be going to hell. Nancy Pelosi. Well, maybe, potentially. Some shady shit going on with her, but uh, I would say the people that run Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think they're just providing experiences out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. They're under some fire, though. Do you, do you remember hearing about this whole... Uh, it kind of all got ignited with Taylor Swift and her concert that sold out before even the general public could get their hands on anything due to scalpers. Yeah, and, I, didn't, and, I didn't get the details of it, but I, I knew people were upset. I think Taylor was upset with them. Yeah, I mean, it, it created an outrage because basically what happened is it, it, there was a pre-sale that specific fans could get tickets for. And then during that time, scalpers bought thousands and thousands and thousands of tickets, which then obviously jacks the prices up. Um, and it, it was just like a whole shit show. Well, it, it went as far as coming in and, and they're talking in, in front of uh, Congress, it is, I believe. And they're, and they're trying to figure out how they can mitigate these things and like and solve this problem because you have the artist which sets the ticket price and then... At that point, Ticketmaster Live Nation, who basically are running the venue, can do anything that they want. And the artist has okay. no say, and, and they can try to make whatever money they want. And that's why you go and buy a $40 ticket, and you end up paying $65 after you have fees and taxes and mm -hmm. all this bullshit that you have no idea what's going on. And 
uh, singer-songwriter Clyde Lawrence, he's, he's from this like an indie band who I had never honestly heard of, but he went in front of Congress and, and spoke to them. He got interviewed, and he described it pretty well. Like, I, I thought just it's a short-minute clip here I wanted to play for you, but I, I think the way that he described it, like it, it seems like the artists also are getting taken advantage of. It's, it's not just these... Uh, the, the end user us going to see the concert, but really it, it's, it's the artists that are there providing the entertainment for everyone that are, are really getting screwed. So I, I want to show you his description of it. Well, of the $42 a fan spent on a ticket, we received 12, but whereas live nations costs were already covered at this point in the calculation, we still need to pay for our touring costs. In our case, roughly 50% of our earnings is used to cover expenses so that leaves us with $6 for an eight-piece band, pre-tax, per ticket, and we also have to pay our own health insurance. We truly do not see Live Nation as the enemy. They're just the largest player in a game that feels stacked against us as artists and often our fans as well. Ultimately, when looking at the current state of the industry, we're left with lots of questions. Why is it that all of Live Nation's costs get recouped before the show hits its profit point, yet ours, the artists, don't? Why is there so little transparency as to what line items such as facility fees actually go towards? Why is it standard for Live Nation to take a 20% commission on our merchandise sales while we never receive a cent of their ancillary revenues like concessions, alcohol, and parking? Hmm. And that, that that's pretty crazy to me, man, that they're taking their money from merchandise and, and all this stuff but not sharing the money that they make from the people that they brought into the doors for them for alcohol and all these other things. It's just, it seems wild to me. So I, I really think we're going to see a shift in how all this is done. One thing that I've heard is that they're strongly looking at not allowing the reselling of tickets to happen. So if you want to go to a concert, you buy the ticket from Live Nation Ticketmaster and that is the end of it. Mm. No more, no more StubHub, no more anything like that, where basically it incentivizes people to hack buy a shit ton of tickets, drive the price up because the demand goes up. Right. And then, you know, we're the end user gets fucked, basically. That is like the biggest thing that's been thrown out there, which could be good. But then I think you just see the cost of tickets higher right off the bat. Slightly, slightly higher. Right. Yeah. But but they're always aren't they always higher, especially for a, a really popular attraction? Like for for example, mm -hmm. you buy a Taylor Swift concert ticket for seventy five dollars on Ticketmaster. And then, depending on demand, that ticket is now worth double, at least on the on the open market. Yeah, right. That's you know, and so and so yeah, maybe at first it's a little bit higher, but that's always going to be the case. Now there's a ceiling. Yeah, and yeah. that ceiling is not; it can't be pushed artificially on an open market. Um, and if you want to sell this, you have to do so. Basically, have to scalp it. Yeah. Now, to, and then Ticketmaster Live Nation are saying they have tons of fees. Because of like the four thousand some venues in the in the country, they only they actually own their own venues. They own two hundred of their own venues. So in those venues, it's pure profit. They can do whatever the fuck they want at those venues. The other ones, they're saying they have costs, yada yada yada. But like those venues are still going to want that business. So like there will be agreements to be had. Maybe they lose a little bit of money there. But like I don't think that the end user, the person that's coming there to support the artist, should get like the shaft of everything. Yeah. You know, and it, and it sounds like also the artists are. So it's like Live Nation, Ticketmaster, without your fans wanting to go or your artists wanting to perform, you don't have shit anyway. So you, they have to find a way to make it right, I, I think, or the government's going to make them. It's it, it's looking like. So yeah. it, it's interesting. I, I, it's something that's always bothered me. So I've kind of been paying attention to it a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's ripe for, for some uh, 
revolution there for sure. Yeah. So we'll update as we hear more, but it's currently they're, they're speaking in front of Congress and trying to make some changes. I have some interesting uh, uh, vaccine information for you. Okay. So there's a guy, uh, Richard Hanania. Hanania? Yeah, Richard Hanania. He's the president of the Center of the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. He's a fellow at UT Austin, formerly of uh, Columbia University. And he has this thread on Twitter about countries using the mRNA vaccines mm -hmm. uh, from a, uh, a much larger report about vaccine and international mortality rates. So he says that in countries using mRNA vaccines, there is no noticeable increase in excess deaths among non-elderly people. In fact, fewer people died. The U.S. is the exception, though we do have a lower vaccination rate than other countries. So basically what he's saying is that between the, uh, uh, between the years of 2020 and 2022, far fewer working-aged individuals had died than would have been predicted in 2019. Excess deaths are, ironically enough, due to COVID excess itself. With countries with high vaccination and low COVID rates, we don't see excess death. Ironically, it's anti-vaxxers that are causing people to, quote, die suddenly. In South Korea, uh, they were very heavily vaxxed during 2021, reaching the 86% level, roughly half with Pfizer and half with Oxford. And there was no noticeable change in the working age mortality rates during this period. However, the country had also maintained a strict zero COVID policy, preventing any significant numbers of infections, then finally relaxed that effort in March of 2022, producing a huge spike in COVID cases and also a substantial but very temporary rise in working age deaths, which soon fell back to normal level. Thus, the changes in mortality were entirely associated with the rise of infections and had no connection to the vaccine drive. Hmm. Not just the U.S., but also Canada, the U.K., and Chile, and other fatter countries have experienced excess death. An anti-vaxxer has to believe that the mRNA vaccines are only dangerous for English speakers and people in Chile. So it's a, it's a really, to me, refreshing take on all of this because it, uh -huh. it, it, it kind of says two things. One, it says that the theory that more people are dying because of taking the vaccine than otherwise would have is more or less false. Now, there's plenty other reasons why fewer working age individuals hadn't died in the past two years, mainly because we weren't at work, we were at home, we weren't taking a whole lot of chances or risks or doing a lot of things, right? So that has placed uh, something into it. But it also makes the association between spike in COVID cases and deaths. So we already knew that the vaccine didn't prevent transmission, right? But with, with that high vaccination rate and low COVID rates, we saw little excess deaths, almost no excess deaths. So there is a correlation between getting vaccinated and not dying in uh, non-elderly people. But the one key factor, I think the, the, the main thing to pull out of all this is that the fatter the country was, the more excess deaths that they saw. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. But there is always room to be skeptical. Moderna received a billion dollars from the government to make their COVID vaccine. They generated a income of $1 billion last quarter. Mm. 
And now they're raising the price of the dose from $20.69 to $130 because demand is plummeting. So yeah. again, I don't know. We've, talk, we've talked about this at nauseum, but it's just that give and take, man. That This whole thing is just so much of this side and then this side and everybody's pulling from one to the other. It's interesting. I, I, it made me think to look up the death rate you see year by year through like the uh -huh. last years to see if there's like this huge spike during COVID. And since 2019, it's raised 0.4% just steadily nothing mm -hmm. nothing wild before that though it, there was a negative trend of negative 0.3 ish through the 2000s and then like a negative 0.9 before that so we are seeing increased deaths but that there could be a lot of factors to that but it, it's just interesting i thought it'd be a lot higher for the huge deal that was made of it and everything going on i, I thought it, we'd see like a large chunk you know a large jump once you get to that year 2020 but it kind of just seems like a steady growth of 0.4%, which is not huge to me. Like it seems, that seems like normal, I guess. I don't know. You're having more older people and we're having less and less kids as these years go on. So I think it would make sense that your death rate would go up. No, because the, the right. great generation, the baby boomers, all these people are finally dying off or starting to. So that would make sense that your death rate would be higher when you have yeah, less but, and less kids. Right. But, but, and, and if it attacks the elderly, then, then maybe you've, increased the the rate that these folks would die and you've shortened that span by three to five years or something like that right mm -hmm. so for the next three to five years that population will have lower death rates by these findings but there's a good here's a good summary in this in this in this report three points they make vaccine began december 14th 2020 so it would have had almost no public health impact during that year except for homicides and accidents Nearly all the major changes in American death rates occurred in 2020. So these must have been due to COVID. Hmm. Except for homicides and accidents, non-COVID death rates showed almost no change in 2021 and 2022. So the vaccines probably had no impact one way or the other. Meaning wow. They didn't prevent COVID deaths, but they also didn't increase deaths due to dying suddenly, this, that, and the other. So, so both sides are wrong. <laughs> essentially, yes. Essentially, yeah. yes. And I think that is the, to me, the best information that I've seen so far. Um, yes, COVID was real and deadly and terrible. The vaccine didn't prevent transmission, therefore didn't prevent death. And it also hasn't increased death either. So nobody knows. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Right, right. And, and, and uh, Moderna is uh, all the richer for it. Right. And that to me is the biggest crime. And that nobody will be prosecuted for. Yeah, right. It's wild. You've been wild, uh, indeed. following anything out of Florida? What's going on with the uh, new proposed AP class? I saw it, but I didn't read it. It's it's interesting, man. So Florida, their education department blocked proposed AP class that was focused on African-American studies. Yes, they, that's that's what I saw. Yeah. They were citing it. Uh, they're basically saying it's there's within the class, there's forms of political indoctrination and violations of their state laws. What I saw is... They said, as presented, the course is contrary to Florida law and lacks educational value, but I didn't get any more context than that. Yeah, so I'll play a clip from DeSantis here that kind of shows his, his viewpoint on it and why they kind of shut it down as swiftly as they did. Uh, Governor, on the AP African-American Studies course that was rejected by the state, been a lot of criticism of that move, uh, people saying, you know, this is exactly what we were fearing with the Individual Freedom Bill. I don't know if you or the commissioner could maybe expand a little bit more about sure. what I mean, I think so 
Um, and as you know, uh, in the state of Florida, our education standards not only don't prevent, but they require teaching black history, all the important things that's part of our core curriculum. This was a separate course on top of that for advanced placement credit. And the issue is we have guidelines and standards in Florida. Uh, we want education, not indoctrination. If you fall on the side of indoctrination, we're going to decline. If it's education, then we will do this course. So when I heard it, we didn't meet the standards. I figured, yeah, they may be doing this here. It's way more than that. This course on Black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of Black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on, that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts and how to think, but we don't believe they should have an agenda imposed on them. When you try to use black history to shoehorn in queer theory, uh, you are clearly trying to use that uh, for political purposes. Governor, one of the AP studies that um, course parts have been listed as concerning is the topic of movements for black lives. Can you describe what about that is concerning as some people are calling it, is that calling black history inferior? That part of the so if you read actually what's in there, they're advocating things like abolishing prisons. Now, now that's a that's a radical political position. You're free to take that in your own life. I don't think very many people would think that that would actually work. Um, but how is that being taught as fact to be able uh, to do that? And I also think it's not fair to say that somehow abolishing prisons is somehow linked to like black experience and that's what black people want. I don't think that's true at all. I think they want law and order, just like anybody else wants law and order. So that is more of ideology being used under the guise of history. And we wanna do uh, history. That's what our standards for, for black history are. It's just cut and dried history. You learn all the basics, you learn about the great figures, and, you know, I view it as American history. I don't view it as separate history. You know, we have history in a lot of different shapes and sizes. People that have participated uh, to make the country great, uh, people that have stood up when it wasn't easy, and they all deserve uh, uh, to be taught. But abolishing prisons, being taught to high school kids, as if that's somehow a fact? No, that, that's, that's not appropriate. What do you think? The general concept there is teaching what has happened and then teaching what should happen. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching about abolishing prisons, then you're certainly teaching about a possible solution to a problem that you're seeing from black history. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to connect these dots and, and, and bridge these gaps because I haven't read any of that of the, their curriculum. Uh, but if he's saying that that one of the things that's in there is that's stopping them from letting this class move forward is the concept teaching the concept of abolishing prisons. He's hundred percent correct. Yes. That is politically motivated. Mm -hmm. I guess what he's saying is you can, you can teach about the history of prisons, prison population, the, how it's skewed heavily towards people of color. For sure. There's factualness to that for sure. Like there, that's, that's history. That is true. But, but then, you know, here's how we fix that. We abolish the prisons. Whoa, mm -hmm. easy there, right. you know, pump the brakes. That, that to me, yeah, that, that he said it's radical. I couldn't agree more. Um, I certainly don't know where queer theory fits into any of this. You could, I mean, I don't understand. I'm sure there's no issue about like teaching about somebody who happens to be black and gay. If it's a prominent figure, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but that's probably because I haven't taken this course. 
<laughs> but yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. Like if, if he's, if it's true, what's in there is what he's saying, then yeah, obviously somebody's trying to push an agenda. If it's true, I appreciate the the pushback from the state. I think that's great. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's healthy pushback. It, apparently, College Board has been developing this class for more than a decade, and it's uh, it's currently piloting at sixty schools across the U.S. while planning to make it available to any school that wants it during the 2024-2025 school year. It seems like Florida obviously is not going to participate, but the the idea of the course, which I I would be behind, the the idea of the course is it aims to explore the experiences and contribution of African Americans through various lenses from the African diaspora, which I think is when they like came here from uh, during the slave trade, basically, uh, to the civil rights movement and then beyond, Uh, which that sounds great to me. Like that sounds like a really informative class. In my opinion, when I was younger, we learn about, you know, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., and a few people, but like I don't know if I got a deep dive into that. Maybe that's because I was in like more of a conservative white area, white school for sure. Mm. But you know, I, I don't think that it, it that as it's described right there would be the worst thing like to have as an option for somebody if they really want to learn more about it. But when you bring in all these other radical things and, and basically like as they've put it, like woke indoctrination masquerading as education. That's a really Mm -hmm. good way to put it on on some of these things that at least Florida is pushing back on. Uh, Florida has said that, like, if they want to, you know, review these these basic tenets of what they're teaching, they're they're interested in like having it as a class, but like as is not interested. So it's a it's a whole thing. It it sounds like they're going to be sued here. Uh, A bunch of people like the NAACP, ACLU are are going really hard against them. One of the state senators from Florida, who is a Democrat, is going really, really hard against them. He he represents like the Miami-Dade area. There's going to be some pushback, but the way it's set up now, at least in Florida, I don't see them changing their stance on this unless the curriculum is, is more focused on what it you know what they say it is instead of these other things where they're it's not black history they're trying to change black it's like black future you know or like whatever that is like the future of america even it's not even specifically for black people i feel like at that point but right so when somebody says oh they're not teaching crt in my school um that's perfect example of it right there right you're trying to introduce concepts of solutions or how you think things should be based off of the history. He said, you know, we're not, we're not, we're teaching them how to think we're presenting them with what has happened. And then hopefully if the teacher's competent enough, you can have a conversation about that mm-hmm. and you could dig deeper into it and you could ask questions about it. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that to me seems like the point of having that class, not to like, Oh yeah, we're going to teach you about, uh, abolishing prisons and why, uh, you know, cause we're not, we haven't abolished prisons. Right. So, so obviously that's, put in there for a reason um, to get into the heads of kids. So, yeah, and, and I totally disagree with it. It's like, um, you know, we played that clip from Matt Gates a couple uh, weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, si- single-issue bills, right? Like, you, you, can't, you, you can't put a bill up for vote that has to do with infrastructure and then want to pass uh, amnesty for illegal immigrants. Like, just shove that in there right. on a bill that's titled infrastructure. You know what I mean? It's, it's the same, it's, to me, it's the same kind of concept. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I, I like the protection of it. I, I, think, I think we can do it for a whole heck of a lot more of that. Um, in all of our in all of our schools, but in, I am in support of the class as described, like by them. Before you dig into it, like I think if that stuff was removed, I think you could take a lot away f- from like the history of African Americans in this country and like some of the great figures that like have helped us change the course of U.S. history. You know? Yes. And let me climb on my soapbox for a minute um, and shame on you 
if you read this story and you took it at face value that the Florida governor doesn't want to teach a class about African-American studies. I was shocked when I read the headline. <laughs> yeah. gonna, I was like, and what? Because it, it's a shocking headline. Yeah. And that's the reason it was written. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And so hopefully listen to the show or other shows like it and you just pay attention outside of the ABC Nightly News. Hopefully you'll begin to see a pattern here where if something shocks you, it's because it was meant to. If something grabs your attention, it's because the intention was to grab your attention and make you believe the headline and write a story that's very disingenuous and doesn't put in the facts uh, about what it is that they're that they're disagreeing with. And I think if you just dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that your initial shock and awe was a little bit inflated. So stepping off that soapbox, um, there is a terrible story. Mm, Let's end on a high note. Let's do it. Awful, awful, (laughs) awful story out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, You may have heard of it. You may not have. Mm -hmm. There's a uh, investigation into two affluent LGBTQ activists. Oh, yes. Uh, And they were accused of sodomizing their young adopted sons now ages nine and 11. But it's it actually, it, it gets a little bit worse than that. Um, not only did this married couple allegedly rape the two boys that they adopted through a Christian special needs adoption agency, they were pimping out these children to nearby pedophiles in the Atlanta area suburbs. They figured this out through some, some calls recorded in the jailhouse, through some documents uh, in the courtroom, and testimony from a family member who spoke um, exclusively with this uh, publication town hall to uncover the extent of the physical and emotional trauma of these two elementary school aged brothers. It's funny, man. I, I, I hear now that I have a son, I hear his mother tell me that she doesn't want anybody, anybody, any, I'll specify this, any man who is not blood related to this kid to ever be alone with him. Mm. And uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever makes you happy, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more trusting of people, and 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 that might be a little bit naive. But you don't have to dig like too far underneath the surface to find like these stories like this do not happen far from home, mm. and they usually happen with a family member or somebody who's trusted. So if if there's this distrust of us allowing another non-related or even a related male to be alone with our kid. Why the hell wouldn't we think that somebody who's adopting two children wouldn't be in that same atmosphere? Mm. Now, what I don't understand is, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they're just so psychopathic and, and manipulative that they were able to pass through any barriers that there are to adoption. From what I understand, it's pretty hard to adopt a child in, in America. Um but how do you, how does this fall through the cracks? Like, how does this happen? How do we not know that there would be this type of behavior? Here's yeah. the, here's the, here's what they've been indicted. Here's the charges they're indicted on: incest, aggravated sodomy, aggravated child molest, and felony sexual exploitation of children, and felony prostitution of a minor. Jesus Christ! You're gonna tell me there weren't signs? Like there weren't things that we could figure out? Like, like this doesn't just happen overnight. And it's 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 one thing for one person to do it, but but to be married and to be doing, oh my God, man, I just can't even, it's like the worst story I've ever read in my life. It's terrible. It's going to have a really happy ending though. I can tell you that much because these guys are going to get to prison 
I would say whenever they get to Gen Pop, within six months, they will be killed very quickly. These yeah, are the first probably. people that people fuck up in prison, bro. Child molesters do not live long. So, I, you yeah. know, hopefully, hopefully these guys get what they deserve. But that's just, that's fucking terrible, man. It's fucking terrible. You're supposed to, it's so weird to me, like these, the foster families even too and stuff. It's like you hear these terrible stories and it's like, I guess more in the foster family. like, why are you bringing kids into your house if you're just going to fucking treat them like shit? And then this, I mean, they were literally just capitalizing on them to make money, it sounds like. But I just, they got to they gotta look into these people more and more for this shit, man. Like, I, I know it takes a while, but maybe that's for a good thing because it, maybe it needs to take a little bit longer before you can adopt because we got to make sure that we're putting these people into the hand, these kids into the hands of, of quality people that want to treat them as if they were their own and not pimp them out. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I just I just don't know. It's like one of these things that I just can't wrap my head around. You know, I... We heard about these, you know, there's been three mass shootings in California, all mm. by old Asian men. I don't know what that is. I'm That's very weird. confused about that. It, huh. it, maybe it's a coincidence. I'm sure it's a coincidence, but like, what the fuck is that? Three, one week, all of them. Elderly Asian men. I don't know, man. Yeah. It just, it's, it's bizarre. Those stories make sense to me. This person is deranged, obviously screwed up in the head, wanting to inflict damage. And so they say, I'm going to go kill as many people as possible. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying I understand it. It's very rational to me. I'll never understand these stories. No, I will no, man. never understand. That's the kind of shit that makes me wish or hope that maybe religion and all this shit is true. Because those people are going to go to the bottom layer of Dante's Inferno, man. Like those, those people deserve the worst of the worst. Indeed. Indeed they do. Oh, um, man. Well, hey, if yeah. you want to find us on social media networks, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at FriendshipNH. You can find us on yeah. uh, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Friendship News Hour. And if you want to uh, send us any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to come and join us on the podcast, send us an email to bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We'd love to get you on. Um, what do you want to say to him before we leave, Frank? Any words of wisdom? No, man. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> I'm so sad. Um, no, man. Thanks for listening. I appreciate everybody. Uh, if you made it this far, like us and uh, leave us a, a review. That'd be sweet. Yeah. We'll see you next time.